Well, it is indeed good to worship together. Um, we have a few announcements that we uh, would like to make you aware of. First of all, um, tomorrow evening from 5 to 7 p.m., uh, we will be having kind of a family skate night at Skate City um, for a time of fellowship and encouragement with one another, uh, just having some fun. Also, December 5th, uh, we will be, our ladies will be having a ladies' luncheon here at the church, and that is uh, December 5th from 11 to 1, and you do need to RSVP to Julie Henningsen uh, if you are going to be attending. Uh, just so you all know, there will be no Saturday services next weekend uh, due to the holiday weekend. Um, our staff will be spending some time with our families uh, during that weekend, so there will be no Saturday service next weekend. Um, as you know, every weekend we like to celebrate the things that God is doing uh, locally here at Maranatha. Um, and last weekend, uh, about 30 of our youth got to both virtually and in person uh, participate in an apologetics conference. Um, and from what I understand, it was a very big blessing to all those involved. Um, they've been going through this fall a study in apologetics and how they should uh, respond to those who have questions or even attack them for their faith. Um, and Tony has done a great job with that, and they were able to actually meet one of the speakers from some of the videos they've been watching and be able to participate with one another in um, asking some good questions about their own faith. Um, we are tonight going to be wrapping up um, a very long series that um, Cody has been doing of Christ in the Old Testament. And although I've, only, I've actually been listening since... Before uh, we started attending here, I started listening back in January when Cody and I first started talking about me coming here, and it has been a blessing to me, and I hope it has been to you as well. I wanted to share with you something um, from my devotions this morning. Uh, I was very blessed to be able to be reading God's Word um, with a beautiful view of a lake and a sunrise this morning, um, which is one of my favorite atmospheres uh, Psalm 24, 8. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And um, that was an encouragement to me as kind of a wrapping up the series. For the past two years, we have been focusing on specifically the King of glory, Jesus Christ. And uh, now Cody is going to come and kind of wrap up um, this two-year series we've been doing. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Yeah, who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. All right, so grab your Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you, that's great. I encourage you to grab your own personal Bible. If you don't, we have Bibles for you there in the pews. Do you know that it is possible to read this and miss Jesus? Some people read through Scripture and they miss Jesus completely. They might read about Jesus, but to truly understand Christ and who He is, they miss Him. In fact, Hitler had a Bible. He completely missed Jesus, right? Yeah. So you can read this Bible and, and miss Jesus. In fact, you can read the Old Testament and miss Jesus. In fact, probably even before this series, you might have thought, well, the Old Testament is God in His creation kind of this mighty God who's got a lot of lightning bolts to these people who are kind of wandering around and they don't follow Him much. And then, then we get to Jesus in the New Testament. But hopefully you've seen that we have found Jesus 
in the Old Testament. In fact, people miss Jesus even in the New Testament. The Pharisees. Go to your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus is talking with Pharisees, and of course the Pharisees are doing their thing where they, they've got a lot of issues, and Jesus is in this confrontation with them. And there's this wonderful passage here. John chapter 5, starting with verse 39. We have this great little section here. Jesus says this. He says, You diligently study the Scriptures. Now notice in your Bibles, the editors have made that Scriptures capital S. Not only to show us that they're studying the Word of God, but with that, they're studying the Old Testament. Okay? Now, the Old Testament, again, if you recall some of the charts we've gone through, you've got the law, the historical, the poetry. So, the Pharisees, they study Scriptures. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Here in Scripture, I love how Jesus comes to some religious people. There's a little battle going on, and they think they're all kind of they're arrogant about their knowledge. And he's like, "Wait a second, time out. You study Scriptures, and you've missed life, which is in me." We see that in John chapter ten. He talks about that again. All the Old Testament speaks of the beauty of Jesus, and that's what we've done for two years. So let's pray before we get into our study tonight. Father God, I do thank You for our two-year study of Christ in the Old Testament. And I thank You that we have learned much. But even tonight, as we kind of summarize some of these things, I pray that You would even maybe awaken some of the things that we learn through our study. There will be different things that we will talk about briefly, and it might remind us of, oh, I remember that. I remember that promise I made to you. I remember that vow I made to you. Just like the Israelites made these vows and then they, they failed in the covenant. And Spirit of God, I ask that You would move in us. That we would be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our main goal of our two-year study, if I'm going to talk about some of the things that we were doing here. The main goal of our two-year study was not to cover all the over... 300 fulfillments in the Bible of Jesus in the Old Testament. In fact, there's many books that cover over 300 fulfillments. I've even got multiple books that say, okay, this section here is connected with this section. And there's just so many things. I remember prior to this study, I thought, what am I going to do here? Am I going to go through all these? We could do, let's see, 300 Sundays. That's a, that's a longer than, than two years. I, I chose not to do that. We didn't do the, the 300 fulfillments, or we didn't do like a general survey of the Old Testament. Some books we went we went really rapidly through and and some we took some time looking at so we didn't do that but our main goal was this to know jesus more so look at me i encourage you every time you grab your bible or if it's on your phone that's fine but every time you get into scripture i encourage you to stop and pray and say god speak to me what does this tell me? In fact, years ago, we, I had you write that in your Bible in the front cover. What does this tell me about God? But I encourage you also to pray, I want to know Christ more. 
I want to know His glory more, His sufferings more. I want to know the beauty of the Messiah. And that was our goal in this study. Even though we have traveled two years through many centuries of history in many countries, each week we arrived at our destination. Every Sunday, we maybe started in a different country, different time period, different place, but every Sunday, do you know that we arrived at the same destination? We arrived at Jesus. And we have come to know, worship, and obey. So this will be our last Sunday. We have our sign up there. I don't know, maybe I'll put it in my bedroom and maybe my wife will get it out of there. I don't know. But take a look at our sign over there. As we've been going through the Old Testament, these key words showed up often in our study. God made Himself known to the Israelites, to Abraham, and then his family, and then the nation. He even made Himself known to the Egyptians. And the purpose of God making Himself known is that He would be worshipped. Then out of that, obedience. We've been, we pushed that a lot in the beginning of our study. We approach this topic, Christ in the Old Testament, in how the Old Testament approached the topic. And we often went through different things. So two ways we did this. We did fulfillment and promise. Passages that pointed to Christ that were fulfilled. In fact, if you recall, the three main, uh, the main New Testament books we looked at were Hebrews, Galatians, and Romans. Those are the three books that we looked at primarily. I could have done just the Gospels, but I chose to do Hebrews because Hebrews does such a great job at looking at Christ in the Old Testament. And also Galatians as we went through that, and then Romans. Another way, so there's promise fulfillment, and another way is typology. We, we took time looking at passages that point to and foreshadow Christ. In fact, we could have done this in a four-year series, but I chose to just do it in two. There's more in there that have typology in that. And the Bible contains God's great story. And the main story is the story of redemption, His saving work from the beginning and the end. So I've done this a couple times, so take a look at this chart here. We've walked through this here. So I wrote this out. In the drama of redemption, there is one stage, the created world. This is the place that God was going to display all that He was going to do. Then there was one main character, God. Yeah, there's great stories like Ruth, but Ruth preaches to us the beauty of who God is and His character. There's one focal figure, and it's Jesus. All things have been created by Him, through Him, and for Him. Colossians chapter 1. He's the main focus of Scripture. Then there's one chief conflict. And we've, we've dealt with this multiple times through different stories. God's glory versus man's pride. And we even have that today truly around us. The constant battle of man, man's pride, his arrogance, thinking he can save himself and do that, which we'll see here in a moment. There's one principal predicament. Man cannot save themselves. Then there's one resolution, the redemptive process reaching the climax of Jesus Christ and the cross event. And we even went beyond that looking at the book of Revelation as we went through other aspects. So, who is the hero in the different stories? Again, God is the hero of the Old Testament. Not Moses. There's a greater deliverer coming. Jesus is greater than Moses who brings us out of slavery by the way of His blood. 
And if you recall, we went through Exodus. We took eight, we took eight sermons just in Exodus alone. And we walked through and we said, the people were in bondage. Remember, this is the Old Testament. The people were in bondage and they needed to deliver. So God rose up a deliverer. And then by the blood of the Lamb, they put it on the door frames. We did this two Easter's ago. Then they were saved and they were on the way to the promised land. And Jesus is that for us. We were in bondage. We needed to deliver. And then Christ came. And by His blood, He saved us and we are on the way to the promised land. God is the hero of the Old Testament, not Joshua. There's a greater conqueror coming. Jesus is greater than Joshua who conquers sin, death, and truly rescues His people. God is the hero of the Old Testament, not David. There's a greater king coming. Jesus is the greater king unlike David's kingdom. Christ's kingdom will last forever. And we saw that in the Psalms and then throughout the prophets. We saw that. So each week, we have been following what you could see like a crimson thread. We've been following this thread. And if you recall, when we went through the Minor Prophets, i got maybe a picture there, this crimson thread. The Minor Prophets, I kind of mapped out each of the prophets on this rope. This is my old climbing rope here. But for us, this crimson thread led us and leads us ultimately, as you see, i got it here, anchored to the cross. This crimson thread that we've been following through the Old Testament follows this great plan of the history of redemption leading us to the cross. And that plan is not only from Him, but its focus is on Him. And we've learned much today. We've watched in the past. And today what we're going to do is this. So grab your Bibles, and if you could, get a pencil or pen and go to the table of contents. So go into the beginning there. Alright. So get your Bibles out. And you've got it mapped out here. Some of them are a little bit more longer than others. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, for Samuel, for Kings, for Crown, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. When I was a kid, I could do it with one breath. I don't know how I did it, but I could just rattle through all those 39 books. So what we're going to do today is, is maybe a little unique for you, but I encourage you to do this. What we're going to do is we're going to write out, if you can, Maybe next to the, like for in my Bible here, Genesis, and there's a little space there. I don't know how your Bibles are mapped out, but maybe write a word or two as we have covered the topic of Christ. And you'll see, for instance, take a look at the first one. I think I got it up here. I don't know with PowerPoint yet. Genesis. In Genesis, we took some time looking at Christ our Creator. So maybe you want to go, oh yeah, I remember that. Creator. So that way in the future, you can go, Christ in the Old Testament, you can look at the table of contents and see all these words we got. So Christ was the Creator. He was there at creation. Again, we, we looked at uh, Colossians chapter 1. He was Creator. And He's the Rescuer. If you recall this, this beginning of the good news, the theologians call this the, this proto-euangelion, the beginning of the good news where in Genesis 3.15, God says, guess what? Yeah, the enemy of our souls, someday someone's coming and will strike his heel. Oh, it's going to be good. So there's this glimpse that the rescuer is coming. We also talked about the promised descendant, this seed, this promised one that was coming. That's Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis 17, we, we covered that at great length. This promised descendant is coming. It's coming. It will be in this unknown this this seed in fact we looked at galatians talking about that then also high priest 
Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 5 covers that a lot. And then, for me personally, my favorite one out of Genesis, I don't know why this was, but Genesis 49, a ruler, the, the, the scepter will not leave the rule. And I was like, oh, that was a beautiful sermon just for me personally. In fact, I cried at the end of each of those sermons. I had to bring tissue up here and cry it out. If you missed any of these, I encourage you to go and learn a little bit about Christ in Genesis. So maybe squeeze one of those or two words on your Bible. Next one, Exodus. Exodus, he's the great I am. We looked at Exodus chapter 3, 14, Moses in the burning bush, the great I am. I am who I am. And then we looked at the Hebrew, and how that can be very confusing to translate. He is, and he gives us this name, his personal covenant. He's not just El, God, or El Shaddai, Elohim. He is Yahweh, the great I am. And then we saw how he, often God compounds this with other words, whatever they needed. They needed victory. Yahweh, um, Jehovah Shalom. It's, we talked about it. It's best not to say Jehovah, but Yahweh is the, the best way to understand that. So Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Sekenu. We, we looked at different ways. And then we looked at John, the book of John, how Jesus is the great I am. John chapter 8, 58. Where he said, before Abraham was born, I am. The next verse says, at this they took stones to stone him. Because he just blasphemed. He, he's not God. Oh, yes, he is. We took time looking at that. Exodus, the great I am. The deliverer. Now here is where we took eight weeks, two months looking at Exodus because Exodus is the salvation story in the Old Testament. In fact, if you recall, I should have pulled it out. i got a Bible where from Exodus 12-14, to 14, every time that's re-mentioned in the Bible, I highlight it in red in my Bible. And it's throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Exodus 12-14 through 14 is the salvation story. Deliverance occurs when God steps into human history. Again, some, those are some of my favorite studies. We, we looked at uh, Exodus chapter 5, beginning of the deliverance, where He gave these six statements on how He was going to free and bring freedom to to his people. Then I wrote this down here at the end of Exodus. God made himself known in a personal way by saving and committing himself to his people. He's not just going to be a God, he will be Yahweh, their covenantal personal God. Then their response is worship and devotion to follow and obey the laws of God. And we got into Exodus chapter 19. Again, the salvation event happened in 14. Crossing dry land. They were saved there. Then the obedience part came in chapter 19. Shame on any type of pseudo-religion that tries to reverse those things to say, oh, you must obey first, then salvation comes. It's dangerous. It's against the Gospel message. Then we started talking about the laws of God, if you recall. In fact, I remember I said, hey, I'm going to do three weeks in Leviticus. I remember some people were like, three weeks in Leviticus? I guess I'll be on vacation during that time. But what a great study we had in Leviticus. Leviticus, he's the high priest and the perfect sacrifice. All the sacrifices were there to point to show them that they needed something more. We took three weeks talking about how to interpret Old Testament law. Out of the 613 laws, which laws apply to the Christians? Great question, right? 
if you missed out on some of those, I encourage you to go back. All those notes are online. What's the right way to understand Old Testament law now that Christ has come? And we concluded by saying this, the law was given to provide, protect, and appoint us to Jesus. To provide good things for you. Hey, don't sleep around because that's not a good thing, okay? For them, they had some very peculiar things about clothing and stuff, and part of it was because of the culture and the climate they lived in. We don't have that now because things are different. It was to provide and to protect them and also to point them to Jesus. Then we went into Numbers, Christ our salvation. We looked at the bronze serpent. I'll read from John chapter 3, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him might have eternal life. John chapter 3, 14 and 15. And then Deuteronomy. We took a whole summer on the Ten Commandments. We mapped out every week. In fact, Pastor Luke and I, uh, months before, kind of thought through how we're going to do this. How is every Sunday going to be different? You know, We're going to have the kids here. We're not going to do Sunday school. How is this going to work out? Let's figure this out. So we went through the Ten Commandments. And we saw how Jesus, He just didn't take the Ten Commandments and kick them in the trash can. He fulfilled them. So what does that mean? He is the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. How does He fulfill this? We talked about that. And Jesus, He looked at many of the Ten Commandments. Not all of them. He looked at them and He just didn't restate them, but He transformed them to even a deeper way. And then we had this as our statement. The Ten Commandments help us turn to Jesus as we see our sins and guide us to love God and others. That was a great time going through the Ten Commandments. In fact, out of that, we had Pastor Luke read different stories. Remember that every Sunday he read a different story. And then we got the little book, Timmy and the Ten Commandments. Then our kind of our summary at the end of that all was this. Salvation is not a reward for obeying. But salvation is a reason for obeying. You know, I get in that discussion a lot, even with people who call themselves Christians. They think, they think salvation is a reward for obeying. I'll obey, and then out of this, that's my reward. No. Salvation isn't a reward for obeying. Instead, salvation is a reason. First, look at the sign again. First comes the knowledge of God, that relationship, then worship, then obedience. All right. Now we move then to the historical books. Remember, you've got the first five, are the, Decal- the Decalogue is in there, but you've got the Torah, the Pentateuch, and then we move to more um, of the historical books. In fact, if you recall, there's 11 books in the Old Testament that cover the storyline. There's only 11 books that cover the storyline. I guess I probably should have put up that screen, a slide of that, where you've got 11 books that cover the storyline. All the other ones fit within there like Psalms, the prophets, and all that. Joshua. Christ, our victory. Amazingly, I only did one message out of this book. Some of these books I was like, we should do like three months. We'd, have been, we'd probably still be in Genesis. Good thing I just stuck with my plan, right? My two-year plan. We, Christ, our victory. Again, the name Joshua means Yahweh. Or Yahweh is, is a way to say Joshua. Or Yahshua is the way that Christ's name was spoken the Hebrew way of pronouncing Jesus would be Yahshua, Joshua. It's translated in the New Testament as the way we would say it is Jesus. He is our salvation. 
Matthew chapter 1.21. And she shall bring forth a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21. He's our salvation. He's our Yeshua. Judges. A little side note too, if you recall. My Hebrew is not the best accent-wise because my professor, Dr. Van Gameren, came from Holland. So he has a Holland accent and he taught me Hebrew. So I've got like a Holland Hebrew It's just all messed up. And my Wisconsinite accent, throw that in there. Oh man. I wouldn't survive long maybe in the streets of Jerusalem trying to speak. Judges. Next one, Judges. He delivers us as a judge. God's intervention was to bring a judge Savior to rescue the people. And He was the one who was called the judge. Remember, they don't have that definite article in front of any other ones, but God's the only one that's the judge. Ruth. Christ is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Christ has the means to pay for the price. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for humanity's redemption. And also, Christ was willing to do it. Criteria to be a kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, Christ is prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, Christ shows us the beauty of God and deals with our ignorance about God. So as prophet Christ shows us, as priest, He reconciles God and man together and deals with the guilt of sin. And as King, Christ rules over all things and calls for total allegiance. First and second Kings, Christ our King. Jesus is to be Lord over all aspects of our life. And then if you recall, it goes... 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. And when you read 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you're like, wait, I just read this before. What they do in the storyline is 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings just kind of lays it all out. And you just see the raw just shame in some of the kings, most of the kings, and all that's going on. And what they do, the chronicler does in 1st and 2nd Chronicles is they retell the stories with a better light. And in there we see we saw that Christ was our priest and blood sacrifice. And Chronicles ends with an anticipation of the hope that is to come. Then Ezra, Christ our foundation. So the construction of the temple begins, that foundation of the temple. And Christ is the true foundation. And only through Christ can one come and worship God. And this was in we're doing this in January last year. We're just finishing up in January. And then Nehemiah, Christ our restoration. And that was the end of the timeline. So the timeline of the 11 books, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah. And then they're done with the timeline and all the other books fit in. And a little, little side note too, I think it was very providential that right when I was doing Nehemiah, I got really sick. In fact, I would just come, I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to sit in my office with the doors closed. And usually my doors are never closed. I said, when I, when I get up, I'm just going to get up and preach, and I'm going straight home. Because I don't want anyone else to get sick. But during that time, I just stayed home for a week and a half. And then I thought, let me do a little mini-series on Esther and Job. 
So I got tons of time to study, more than I normally get. And then I developed this little mini-series, which was, again, I believe, so providential. because All of this was written half a month before COVID hit. Esther. So here's our little mini-series. Christ our Mediator. Christ our Mediator. God is sovereign and active in each story. Because God is sovereign in the plan of your story, recognize God's personal activity in your story. So again, we looked at Esther and we just saw how the beauty of God was totally sovereign in every aspect of it. You can't miss it. He's in total control of it. Christ our mediator. And then God used Esther to be a mediator on behalf of the people. Then we got into Job. Two weeks only. Two weeks in Job. The first one was Christ our El Shaddai. God is sovereign and active over all things. Even these crazy creatures, even the ostrich, God made the ostrich for a reason to display His glory and purposes. If you recall, we looked at one of... It's Charles Spurgeon uses this example. He says, um, do you believe that even dust particles are controlled in the sunbeam that they dance? Do you, do, you, do you believe that God even is sovereign over every movement of it or the leaf that falls? He says, if you believe that, that's the God of Bible. The Bible. It's not that you'd be, oh, well, a Muslim wouldn't believe there are other religions. No, either an atheist wouldn't believe it or Christians or those who would believe in God would believe that. He's sovereign over all things. Christ or El Shaddai, because God is sovereign in the path of your surroundings, you can grow in your faith and trust Him. The big aspect of Job is, again, many people say, what's the main focus of Job? Suffering. And I kind of try to debunk that. I don't think the main focus of Job is suffering. The main focus of Job is what? God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all things. And the last one, Christ our Redeemer. God is sovereign over suffering. Because God is sovereign through the particulars of suffering. Yes, even in suffering, God is there. You can be comforted that He is with you and in control of your trials. We talked about that last Sunday. That was our little mini-series. And then right soon after that, COVID hit. God is sovereign. Then we went to the Psalms. We got into the wisdom books here. Psalms, we, we took a lengthy series doing that, looking at the royalty of Christ and the suffering of Christ. I had those two crowns, if you recall. One was that nice glittery crown. Then one was the crown of thorns. Psalm chapter 2, Christ the royal son. Psalm 110, Christ the royal king. Psalm 118, Christ the royal victorious one. And many people turn to the Psalms looking at Christ as his royalty, but they sometimes miss out on the suffering part. It goes hand in hand. Psalm 22, Christ the suffering Messiah. Psalm 69, the humiliation of Christ. And Psalm 118, Christ the rejected stone. Then we get into Proverbs. Christ our wisdom. If you don't have Christ, you don't have true wisdom. Firmly believe that. We are in Christ and Christians have access to wisdom and knowledge sufficient for holy living. Read Psalms. I mean, read the Proverbs. Many people read them on the day of the month. Read that chapter. We didn't do Ecclesiastes and Psalm and Psalm. I kind of included that in the Proverbs. 
Part of that was because we were in the midst of COVID. I was doing sermons in my office. Isaiah, Christ our substitution. The beauty of Jesus. If you recall, we went and looked at Hebrew poetry, how they wrote it, and um, Isaiah 52 and 53 are the famous passage of that. And we looked at His rejection. His exaltation and substitution. Yeah, Isaiah. I, was, I almost did like a four-month series called The Gospel According to Isaiah. Jeremiah. Christ our righteousness and the fulfillment of the covenant. When Jesus came, He inaugurated the new covenants. We looked at the covenant. What covenants are, what they're about, and how Jesus brought in the new covenant. Then Lamentations, the man of sorrows. Pastor Eric did that. God is the God of comfort truly found in Jesus. Then Ezekiel. This is just recently. Again, from there, then we went to the minor prophets, but we'll follow our list here in Scripture. Ezekiel, Christ the Son of Man. Christ brings us life in the valley of dry bones. And Christ is the Good Shepherd. And then, if you were at our service, we had different people read Psalm 23. The beauty of that. Daniel. We just finished our three-week three series on Daniel. His rise, his rule. And again, if you missed last week, please, please, please go back. Listen to that message. His reality. We looked at the fiery furnace. Visions and victory. And then the theme, the, the kind of the key slogan I kept saying, if victory is coming, be faithful. Victory is coming, be faithful. Then, going back to this past summer, we went through the minor prophets. Kind of my tagline for that was this: the minor prophets show a, a glimpse of God's wake-up call. Remember that megaphone, a glimpse of God's wake-up call, and also a hope of God's love that will not let us go, which is ultimately found in Christ. In fact, that's a phrase I wish everyone would remember. God has a love that will not let us go. Read Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 38 to the end. It's only three ver- two verses there. God is a love for us that will not let us go, which is only found in Christ. So let's go through the 12 minor prophets, then we're done with our summary. Hosea. And I didn't do a Christ the, what, you know, the Redeemer, Christ the, the, the Lover could have been that for Hosea. Instead, I just wrote little statements here. The redemptive themes of God's unfailing love in Hosea's story. I don't know what... Oh, so do we, do we have anything for that? Probably not. No, okay. So maybe write a word down here. The redemptive themes of God's unfailing love in Hosea's story are supremely filled in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Jesus is our lover. Remember Hosea was called by God to marry this lady Gomer, and he thought the name of Bat was bad enough, right? Gomer. And then it turns out she becomes a prostitute, sells herself, to other people, but still, he has to be faithful. As an example, to the children of God who were unfaithful. Joel. This was a passage that Pastor Tony did. No, wait. This was, this was Pastor Eric did. I'm sorry, apologies. Um, Joel. A time is coming when God would bring, God would judge sin and a message of hope for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. They will be saved. Joel. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amos, the themes, and again, I think this is very providential. I had all this mapped out. The sermon was written way before 
and then George Floyd's situation hit America. I didn't have to change anything in my sermon. The themes of God's justice in the book of Amos are supremely filled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's plumb line. As a result, we see our sin. We don't line up. We are crooked and don't measure up. Jesus is our justice. And then Christ-centered social justice is an expression of the Gospel. Let me say it one more time. Christ-centered justice. Christ-centered social justice is an expression of the Gospel. Not just social justice, but Christ-centered social justice is an expression of the Gospel. Then Obadiah. Judgment against the nation of Edom for helping the Babylonians capture Judah. Remember, this is one of the only uh, prophets who he doesn't speak to the children of Israel. Instead, he speaks to the cousins, kind of the cousins of them. Even though they were half related to, they had hatred and injustice. But even though there's that kind of hatred, none of that can extinguish God's faithful redemptive love that will not let His people go. In fact, at the end, a way to remember, I, you know, Obadiah, Obadiah didn't care for my brother. In fact, when I did that, because Obadiah, bad, I didn't care for my brother. Someone came and said, did they teach you that in seminary? I said, no. If I would have did that in seminary, they would have gave me an F or something probably. I don't know. No, they wouldn't have done that. Obadiah, Jonah, written in satire. This was Pastor Tony. We see the selfish disobedience highlights God's mercy as we look at Jesus' selflessness. Then Micah, specific prophesied birth, location of a small town in Bethlehem. And we got to sing a Christmas carol in July, which was fun to do. Nahum. Jesus is the message of God. Jesus is the Gospel we all need. We need to communicate that message to future generations. If you recall, in Nahum, we looked and realized that those who first heard the message of the covenant that were still alive, they didn't pass it to the children, and then the grandchildren, none of them knew it. We must pass that message on. Habakkuk. The question is, how were the people in the Old Testament saved? Here it is. By putting their faith... Again, think of that. Again, if you, if you weren't for this, that's a great question. How, you know, we understand how we're saved in the New Testament, but what about the Old Testament? How were people saved in the Old Testament? By putting their faith in God, in Jesus, or the seed, or the promise whom God would send. How were the people in the New Testament saved? By putting their faith in God. Again, this is stated almost exactly the same way. By putting their faith in Jesus, whom God has sent. The righteous live by faith. That might be what you put down there for Habakkuk. The righteous live by faith. Zephaniah. You can either have sorrow or singing, if you recall this one. The day of the Lord. Scary day. The day of the Lord. There can be sorrow or singing. There's warning and judgment. You can be on your way to damnation. But God can intervene. Again, hell is real. We have a couple churches in our town who in their statement of faith and what they believe is that there is no real hell. Do you know how dangerous that is? Hell is real. Damnation is going to happen for those who do not put their hope in Jesus. Judgment is not the last word for His children. Restoration 
and salvation. Haggai, after devastation has hit, what will you do? We went through, again, garden, tent, building, person, people, paradise. Get your priorities right by placing God first. God's glory must be our top priority. And here's, my, here's something that I live for. Do all I can to live for and magnify the cross. Everything that Pastor Cody wants to live for is to magnify Jesus and the beauty of the cross. Zechariah, seven portraits of Christ. The big day is often the most important day of our lives, and that's when we put our faith in Christ. Again, Zechariah has seven different portraits of Jesus. It was a beautiful section we did. And then Malachi, is the story done? Put your faith in Christ. God's messenger of the covenant is Jesus. At the end, again, Malachi, they're like, okay, what's going to happen? In fact, the last verse ends kind of abruptly. Like, what is this it? And then there's silence. But Jesus comes. So there you have it. Our summary of Christ in the Old Testament. Take your Bibles and let's finish looking at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. You know, in hindsight, I wish I would have purchased a bunch of journals for everyone and got printed on there, Christ in the Old Testament. So you would have just had a whole notebook of all the notes we covered. The first thing I did in our series is I turned to this chapter here, Luke 24. If I could go back in time and watch one day in history, it wouldn't be the JFK assassination, who's the second shooter. It wouldn't have been, oh, maybe when I was born, I'm adopted, so that would have been cool to see all that, you know. It wouldn't be the cross. I'm a freak about the cross. I love the beauty of the cross. It would be this moment right here. If you look at your Bibles, Luke 24, starting with verse 13, you've got these two walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're just crushed by all that's gone on. And they meet a stranger. Jesus came up, look at verse 15. He came up, walked with them, but they didn't, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked, What are you guys discussing as you walk along? They stood with their face downcast. Oh. I I, I haven't you been around? Are you just a visitor? Did you not know what just happened? And he says, well, What are we talking about? What thing? about Jesus. And in this, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus then, look at this. He said to them, verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter His glory? Here it is, 27. And Jesus, He began with Moses and with all the prophets. He explained to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning Himself. (laughs) Can you imagine Jesus going, let me walk through the Old Testament and show you the beauty of Myself in the Old Testament. I would have loved to 
sat there at the foot of the master and just take copious amounts of notes. Look at me. Gratefully, we have the Holy Spirit in us who guides us through Scripture. I'm sure this two-year series has nothing compared to what Christ did with the, those on the road to Emmaus. But we've got to see through Galatians, through Hebrews, through Romans, the beauty of Christ in the Old Testament. And here's my summary. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. A little, a little side I've, I've even got a book in there that says, Jesus on every page. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't go that far. Although we see the character of God on every page, and the character of God is reflected in Jesus, but this guy tried to say, Jesus on every page. But listen to this. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament says, He's coming. The Old Testament is a big signpost saying, look, it's coming. Look, it's just, The Old Testament is really just a shadow of what is to come. The reality is in Christ. It's Hebrews chapter 10. The Old Testament says He's coming. The four Gospels, what do they say? He's here. He's come. In the book of Acts, what does that do? It proclaims it to the world. He's here. In the epistles, Pen out in majestic, very thoughtful words to explain who He is. And Revelation says He's coming again. This calls for us to worship the One that we know and obey Him. In fact, next Sunday we're going to start our Christmas Advent series. And the theme of it is go tell it on the mountain. We're going to sing carols. We may not do as much singing as we probably want to just because of COVID. We're just every day we're looking at it. We might have to do one virtual. I'm not sure what we're doing. But the result is we, we want to be, because we're living in the last days. Remember that study we did? The last days? We are in that right now. Go proclaim the goodness of Christ. In fact, we want to celebrate the beauty of Christ tonight taking communion. What we've done is Carmen wore a mask and gloves when she assembled all this, so this is as sanitary as we could get it and spread out. Lindsay's going to come up and we're going to sing Christ Alone. And as we sing that, you and your family unit or by yourself, just come up, grab that, and take it on your own as we take communion together. We at Maranatha have open communion, which means... Um, it's open to those who are members of the body of Christ. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, join us. We don't have any little kids here. Um, off at all's left, but we usually pray over them and uh, pray for the time that they understand having Jesus into their life. So we're going to have this song sing, and then we'll finish with our last song. But take the communion cups with you and uh, take it on your own.